Welcome to The Greenhouse Effect. Our hope is that this podcast would be like a greenhouse to help you get unstuck and grow into your full potential because life ought to be fully lived. Hey everyone, this is your host Steve Perkins and today we have a really special guest. Jennifer is somebody that you may have heard through some other stuff that Greenhouse is doing. She has a lot of experience, I think 18 and a half years in HR leadership and as an HR executive. She spent a few years as an executive recruiter as well, so she's kind of seen both sides of that. And then she was the founder of Unbridled Talent, which she's been a speaker and executive coach at. And then the fun part and how we got connected originally is she helped start a movement and an event called Disrupt HR. And I think a number of you are familiar with it. And she started that with Chris in 2013 in Cincinnati. And now not everyone realizes this, but it's grown to over 140 cities in over 30 countries. And there's been over 300 different events held. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, I want to introduce you all to Jennifer McClure. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me today. Enjoy the opportunity to chat about things that are going on in your world and mine. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that we share in common is just seeing the future of the workplace and how that impacts us as individuals thinking about our own abilities and talents and what you know how we show up in our career but then the fact that career and life are starting to intermingle more and more so what is your background in those topics and how did disrupt hr come to be Sure. I think, you know, I like when you were sharing about my background, of course, I sent that to you, the 18 and a half years, it makes me sound like a child, right? You know, the half is really important. <laughs> um, you know, I spent the bulk of my career early on in, in the corporate world, you know, living, living the HR life started back when it was in personnel. And, um, you know, now I, I, I speak a lot to HR leaders and I always kind of, um, like to mention, you know, I didn't fall into HR. I chose that even when it was called personnel because I felt like it was the place in the organization where I could have the most impact. Um, and I'm glad I made that choice. And so, you know, for those, the, the years that I spent as a leader and executive in HR, I felt like that I, you know, I, I did have some good bosses. I worked in some great, great companies and good organizations, but really had an opportunity, I think, to think back on some people that I've helped to, you know, find their career bliss to, you know, maybe that was elsewhere, not at our company in some cases, but, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and then um, to move into executive search where I also got an executive coaching certification that, you know, kind of really put it on steroids. You're trying to match both people who are looking for the right career. Of course, you're doing that in a corporate environment too, but it's just different um, and companies and and you have the opportunity to say on both sides, you know, I, I choose not to work with this company because I don't think they have the culture or the, the place that I can find the right person for, or to tell somebody, I don't think this is the right fit for you. So, you know, that was an interesting kind of spin on that. And so in 2010, when I stepped out on my own with the goal of being a professional speaker, those were the things I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, I had started speaking really basically just teaching what I knew. You know, I was I was giving away 10% of my time to senior executives to come in and help them with their career transition, which is not typically what, you know, a retained search executive recruiter does. Um, but you could come in for free an hour of my time, your time, and we'd talk about, you know, what are you struggling with? What's, what's not working in the interview process? You know, what are you looking for? And 
this was 2006, seven, eight timeframe, I would just, you know, to add value, show them how to use LinkedIn. Um, it was relatively new. I was one of the first 5 million people on the platform and a lot of the executives that I was talking to weren't using it uh, to build their brand, to connect with people, to identify companies to target. So I was just showing them how to do that. And then that turned into um, them asking me to come to organizations they were part of, or then when they did get employed to come into their companies and teach their recruiting and HR leaders how to use LinkedIn and, you know, social media, which was kind of, you know, Twitter was relatively new at that time or came along, I think, 2007-ish timeframe. Um, Facebook was out there, but even I didn't get on Facebook for recruiting for, I was a late, late, late draggard into that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I kind of was just, you know, in the beginning talking about networking and relationship building and, and personal branding, because that was really kind of starting to be talked about as well. And so I'm doing what I love now. Basically, that's all kind of flowed out of teaching people what I know. And so after about five years of, well, about three years of kind of being out there talking at conferences and speaking on stages, I was having a conversation with my friend, Chris Ostich here in Cincinnati. He's a startup uh, entrepreneurial type. And just at lunch with him one day, kind of talking about, you know, what I'd like to do again, he's a startup guy. So he's always like, what's, you know, what's the next million dollar idea you have, Jennifer? And <laughs> I said, you know, I just kind of want to have a, a conference or an event here in Cincinnati. I think I know enough people now that I could invite some cool people to come here and we could have an event where maybe some topics that aren't being talked about on stages out there could be shared and we could have fun. And, um, you know, the traditional conferences and events, I, I definitely think they serve a need. So I'm not, you know, downing that. We weren't trying to be competition with anybody that's out there doing good work in the space. Um, and so he actually, he gets credit for being the founder because he kind of took that idea and said, let's actually make it happen. And I was like, I just kind of had an idea. You know, <laughs> that's what I do. I just throw things out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he had a, an HR technology startup at the time. And so he and his team kind of put their heads together and um, we held the first event in December, 2013, really just thinking that would be it. Maybe we'd hold one a year or something like that. I actually know Chris I, being again, uh, startup guy, he was like, we'll hold one every other month. And I was kind of like, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> one would be fine. Um, and so we did, and a friend of mine, Mary Faulkner from Denver came and she loved it and said, can we do this in Denver? And and so Chris and his team helped her with that. And then they put the videos online and somebody from Toronto called and said, can we do it in Toronto? And then it was somebody in New York City and then Vancouver. And so it just kind of like started one by one. And around uh, at least North America in the beginning, uh, we were getting people reaching out saying, can we do this in our town? And so mid-2015, Chris exited his uh, HR technology company and went on to found a company in another space. And so we chatted and said, you know, I think we had maybe half a dozen, dozen cities at the time. And he said, why don't we see if this could actually, you know, put a website out there uh, make it available to people, really promote the videos more. And so um, we formed a partnership mid-2015 and have since, you know, uh, built out the website. We we actually worked with Marin Hogan at Red Branch Media last April. Um, their team redid our website and we love it. Um, and now we have, as you said, I think I counted them up at the end of February. It was 145 cities and 31 countries that are licensed. and 
uh, over 3,300 of the five minute talks are out there online. So I just, I mean, I still to this day, uh, Chris and I live in the same town, but we rarely see each other. So we actually got together kind of the end of last year and said, you know, we're five years into this and I keep getting asked, what's the strategic plan for Disrupt HR? And we don't really have one because it's, you know, <laughs> I'm a volunteer and Chris is off traveling the world doing cool things. Um, you know? <laughs> so we we are kind of now thinking about what's the next phase for Disrupt HR, but, um, you know, a good coach would probably tell me why, why are you devoting so much time to it? And I devote uh, the time that I do to it because I love to see the change that's happening out there for some people who are involved, whether it's as a, an organizer, a co-organizer, uh, someone who's given a talk or someone who's attended an event. Um, I think it is sparking a lot of ideas and change in the space. Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar uh, what is Disrupt HR? Sure. I think uh, when Chris and I met and said, kind of, what's the plan? He asked me, what's the vision in your mind, Jennifer, for what is Disrupt HR? Where is it going? And I said, well, we kind of stole the format, the five-minute, 20-slide, 15-second talks from Ignite. So why not steal from Ted here? If Ted is ideas worth sharing, then for me, Disrupt HR is ideas worth sharing about the future of work. And so I think that's something that we can run with. Um, the, the short talk format at an event, if you go to a Disrupt HR event, there are probably 10 to 14 people giving a five-minute talk with 20 slides that advance every 15 seconds about topics related to the workplace. And that's loosely interpreted. You know, I gave a talk on awesomeness once, so... You could debate that, I guess. <laughs> but um, sometimes you just want to have a funny talk. Sometimes I think yeah, I try to watch uh, as many of the videos as I can, but I've gotten woefully behind with over 3,000 of them out there. But I do see all that because I upload all the videos. So I see the titles and the people who are giving the talks. And, and I'm just uh, often filled with pride to see talks about topics that are not on main conference stages. Maybe never will be. Uh, but at least they're not ready for that yet. Not some consultant up there talking about how to have a policy or procedure, but someone's sharing their own story or uh, someone sharing their Me Too story. And not just up there to, hey, here's my story, but here's what I think companies should do to prevent that and then what to do in the aftermath. Uh, we've had a lot of talks around mental health. We've certainly had talks around, you know, the, some of the usual topics, AI, diversity, um, employee engagement, performance reviews, millennials. You know, it's, I, I always say if you're going to give one of those talks, then you need to give something with a different perspective. Okay. Um, so good advice for anyone wanting to give an HR, disrupt HR talk. Don't just give your diversity as good and it helps the company uh, be more innovative talk. I want you to get up there and flip it. Tell me something different about it. Really make me think. That's the purpose of Disrupt HR. Ideally, you should leave a Disrupt HR event having hopefully laughed, learned, met some people that you didn't know before, and be excited about doing it all again. That's what drew me originally. What I love about it is it's the same kind of event that provides inspiration and different people's perspectives on issues, but, but it's this sense that we're all in it together. And I think things like Ted that I love they have a different feel where it's kind of the star up front, the person on stage and you're way out here watching and disrupt mm -hmm. for me. And my experience has always felt like more of a community and we're in this together. There is more laughing and clapping and, you know, sharing stories. And then that leads into a lot of partnering and collaboration and cool initiatives coming out of it. You know, that's always been important to me is not just getting inspired, but doing something with it. I love, I love that about disrupt. 
So today, our key question is, what does knowing your unique value and knowing how to communicate that personal brand? You said, you know, you chose HR profession. There was something of a passion there. I mean, take us back to maybe young Jennifer. Like, where where did that passion come from for you? This was back in the 1800s, way back when. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have been in, you know, it's nice now to say in your bio, over 30 years yeah. of experience in the space. You know, that's probably a good question. I haven't done a lot of uh, introspection on that. You know, my, my dad was um, a CPA accountant by a trade who uh, was a farmer. Um, so because he was a farmer, he eventually chose to teach uh, accounting at a, a local college so that he could have more time during the day or evenings whenever he uh, his schedule allowed to farm. So, um, you know, I, I don't, he always told me that I would and should be a teacher again, because he had, you know, a lot of time off to be able to do other things. And I was like, I will never be a teacher, but I, I wish he was alive today. Cause I think I kind of, you know, I am a teacher in the sense that I, I speak and teach from the stage. Yeah. My mom was a stay at home mom. Until my brother and I were both, uh, until I was a senior in high school, my brother was in college. So then she became an office manager, but she's super involved in her community. And I call her the unofficial mayor of her town because you can't walk around in, in Cleveland, Tennessee without everybody going, Peggy, hey, Peggy, oh, you're Peggy's <laughs> daughter. And I'm like, I'm either Peggy's daughter, Jeff's sister, or John Henry's daughter. So I, I had to leave the town to <laughs> develop my own identity. Um you know, so I don't know how making an impact and, and wanting to be in charge came out of that. But as I said, I think I was a millennial before millennials were even a thing or cool because I came out of school or, you know, my kind of senior year in, in college, I was kind of like, where can I have the most impact? And I probably can't be the CEO on the first day. So I kind of looked at the, the world and said, hmm, the person that kind of is in the hiring and the, you know, dealing with all employees and benefits and, and salary, that seems like a place where you can have impact. You know, I said, it's probably a good therapy session to go back and say, why, why was that? I don't know. But um, that's why I chose HR. Right. We spend so much of our lives at work. And so for that to be a place where you can grow and thrive, for that to be a place where those people can be all their meant to be is really significant. And yeah, I think a lot of people maybe have been in the people side of, of their workplace or are new to it and just see that that's a role more about policies and procedures versus helping this be a place where people can really do their best work and have real meaning. Right. And I think, you know, it's, it's my mission in life to get, again, the, the HR leader or even the manager and anybody who's been in HR recruiting, you, you want to point the finger over at the managers or the leadership and say, well, they won't let us do this or my leadership would never go in, go in for that. And then your leadership's like, well, my, my HR person never brings me any new ideas or tells me what, you know, so I'm trying to break that stalemate. Um, through my own work uh, individually or through my company, but also by sharing, getting people the opportunity to share how they've done it through Disrupt HR. Um, because I believe if you say my leadership will not let me do this, you know, we, we can't change our performance review system. My leadership would never go for that. Or we can't have people work from home one day a week. My leadership would never go for that. That's an excuse on your part. Because if your leadership is not going for it, it means you've not presented a compelling enough business case for them to see why it should be done. So it falls on you. If you know that idea is out there and 
you think that it's a potential success factor for your company, or you know that other companies are doing it, or it's the way the workplace, uh, the, the workforce wants to work, you know, any number of things that are going on out there today that so many people in small to mid-sized companies or even large companies where there's a lot of bureaucracy will say, we can never do that because someone else has the authority or the ability to say no then you have not given that person the business case the dollars the cents the our competitors are doing it there's there's a number of ways you can pr- approach those things and i actually it just happened to be Chris, our founder um, for Disrupt HR, that said it, but other people have said it to me and it hasn't, I, I need to write those things down. To hear him say, he's again working in a startup, they're growing at a rapid pace, they have had challenges with keeping, and they, they reached a level where they needed an HR person, but they weren't able to keep their HR person because they're in a startup environment. And he's like, we're a bunch of cowboys and, you know, doing the things that have helped us to be successful. And now we've grown to a level where we need to kind of like rein some of this stuff in, but yet we still have a lot of this, you know, quote, potentially negative things going on to, to bring in some people to our culture. And, and he actually showed her a Disrupt HR video from Chris Dunn, which is in, it's, if you go to the watch page, disrupthr.co slash watch. Uh, the videos are listed there in most viewed order. And I think Chris's is in the top four or five. And it's how to hire for a crappy culture, which is a great talk that he did at Disrupt HR Cayman. And that is what Disrupt HR is all about. Number one, that's a great talk from Chris, because if you know Chris, he's the HR uh-huh. capitalist. He has a kind of snarky uh, Gen X vibe about him. And so it's a great talk, but about a real topic. And I've been in those shoes before too, where, you know, fast growth company, things are not really pretty. People work in long hours, you know, it's hard, hard work, but I've got to go out and hire a talented engineer who's going to work for a boss that I know is really terrible. So how do I sell that? And that's what Chris's video is about. You know, how do you still, how do you find what you can sell because you have to sell the truth but you have to find the person that that's a great match for. And so for Chris Ostrich, our founder, to say, I took that video and I showed it to my new HR person and said, this is what you're dealing with in our environment. So we need to figure out how to hire for a crappy culture. <laughs> you know? And we're working on changing the culture and I'm not throwing his company under the bus. They're doing great things. But that's, first of all, it's a good founder who's, who's got his eyes wise open, who's saying, I know that this is not perfect, even though it's my baby. Um, and there's some resources out there that I can bring to you in a five minute video to really tweak your thinking, to think about not just coming every day going, how am I supposed to hire people? This is, you know, not a great place to work. I don't even like working here right now, but yeah, we can't grow and get better and change (laughs) our culture if we don't have talent in, in place. Um, so that's what I, you know, come in full circle, um, that's what I love to talk about, uh, but that's also, I think, what Disrupt HR allows me and others to be able to do. How can you leverage those 3,300 talks out there? Find one of somebody who's got something to say about something you're dealing with and then go back and say, well, maybe I can do this because somebody else has done it. Or maybe I can put my own twist on that idea and be the first to do it. You know, there's there's just a lot of inspiration out there. And I really get excited about sharing that. That's so cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Mm -hmm. So you said that getting fired was one of the best things that ever happened to you. It is. It is. You know, I, I think we should start a club 
maybe they're probably already at the people who've been fired club. And I, I'm <laughs> sure that people with who show up for that first meeting would be looking around going, Oh wow, I'm in some good company here, man. You know, Steve jobs got fired. Yeah. But, you know, he, he probably wouldn't be at the meeting by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's um, truly, I had a conversation with a friend of mine uh, it was a while ago, but uh, we were talking about someone who's kind of a thought leader in the industry and out there and, you know, speaking on stages. And, and my friend made kind of just the offhand comment, like, yeah, uh, that person's been fired a couple of times. They never talk about that. And I was like, everybody's been fired. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't been fired? If you haven't been fired, then that tells me that you probably haven't learned a lot about yourself. Yeah, so, uh-huh. um, and of course, you know, there are people out there that haven't been fired who are doing great work, but, um, you know, I was working that, uh, so I mentioned the first two jobs that I had. And then the third job that I went to, I was actually recruited away from the Japanese automotive company after doing some really cool and fun things there to an organization that uh, was about to go bankrupt. So again, kind of that hmm. theme of uh, very old company, but just a lot of problems, both uh, culturally and financially. And so they brought in a new CEO who through, you know, long story kind of ended up in front of him talking about the opportunity to be a VP of HR, uh, part of a new executive team, really trying to turn the business around culturally and financially to, um, be able to sell it because it, it was a, a well-known brand that uh, I always say local rich people had bought because they wanted to save the brand, but they didn't want to own it. They didn't need to own it. You know, one guy owns the Cincinnati Reds. He didn't need to own this company, but um, you know, they they wanted to be able to build the value back up so that they could sell it to the right people who would continue to steward the brand. And so I came on board for that challenge. And our goal um, was, again, to turn it around culturally, which was what I was kind of tasked with to, as a team, turn it around financially and put systems in place. And um, really just so much change there. We should write a a book about it, but (laughs) that nobody would read. But (laughs) it was was a lot of um, really heavy lifting and, and work. And the goal was kind of like put out there to get the enterprise value up and be able to sell the company within about five years again to the right buyer. And we ultimately sold the company in two and a half years. We just did major, major things uh, in a very short time frame. really did do a lot of things culturally to uh, make it a, a much better place for people who'd been there 20, 30, 40 years. And for the new people that we were hiring and the new talent that we brought into the organization, made major changes in quality in terms of quality improvement with the products that we made, um, you know, put in new partners around the world. There were just so many good things going on. And the company that bought us was a Fortune 100 company that still owns the business today. Mm-hmm. So it was, quote, the right buyer because they had the right things in mind about what they wanted to do with it. And if anybody's ever been acquired, um, you know, those stories are often interesting and and mine was no different. We were acquired and um, part of their sales pitch to us to get them to be the buyer of the company was we love the executive team. You guys are awesome and we want to keep you and we're going to like let you run as a little independent thing because y'all have been a bunch of rogues turning this thing around and we know that's part of the DNA and go you guys. And as soon as we signed the agreement, they're like, who are you again? (laughs) 
But I, let me back up and say that everything that they did from a business standpoint made sense. They came in and, they, you know, we had done some really creative and innovative things with our benefits plans to both save money, but also to get people on board with change. And very shortly came in and said, uh, oh, we're this Fortune One company, Fortune 100 company with multiple divisions and companies, and we have one benefit plan for everybody. So you're going to need to be on that. And we're like, wait, what happened to us being independent? but it's the right business decision. Same thing with our policies and handbook. And, you know, we had done creative things to get people that had been a former union environment to really kind of move into team-based systems, et cetera. And so we'd done a lot of really creative work and they came in and said, uh, yeah, you're going to have to use our overall company handbook now. And so just one after another, the right business decision. But when you've brought in a bunch of uh, rogues and rebels to your, <laughs> to your, uh, gray environment, it, it really rubbed against me the, and others on our team the wrong way. And so smarter people than me, our, our CEO negotiated a new role for himself to kind of travel the world and, and identify acquisitions for them. Fun job. I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> um, our COO got promoted to the CEO and he was completely happy with that. Our CFO was just hiding in her office trying to keep her job. <laughs> and I was down there just like chafing at the bit going, what do you mean I have to fill out a 15-page form to get a pencil or before I could go buy a box of pencils if I wanted to? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just really, really started chafing at the bit and um, should have left and was offered the opportunity to leave um, with with very good terms. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I said, I, you know, it was a prideful move to say, I'm absolutely not leaving. <laughs> I'm so unhappy and I just want to be unhappy. <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know. Again, we should, I wish I'd been writing or journaling at that time, but uh, didn't leave. And I actually stay, overstayed my welcome probably nine months later. And again, a lot of other members on the executive team um, either made better deals for themselves or left and, and, and did good things. And finally, this, you know, CEO, new CEO, who was my friend and had been my former peer, um, who I made his job really hard for about nine months because I was so miserable, finally had to bring me in the office one day and say, Jennifer, I feel like, and again, this is not a, it's an indelicate phrase, I guess, but I think it's accurate. Uh, he said, I feel like you kind of have committed suicide by cop. You know, that that you won't leave, even though... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been suggested to you and offered to you. Uh, so I'm going to have to tell you to leave. Um, and I actually left there that day. Of course, you know, I had to to leave and that was not pleasant. And driving home, I'm in tears because I'm a single mom at the time. And I had done zero, nothing, nada to prepare myself for what was next because I was more comfortable, I guess, being miserable. Um, but about halfway home, and it's only about a 30-minute drive, I kind of went, you did do this to yourself. Uh, it is your fault. Uh, he is not to blame. Uh, they are not to blame. You had opportunities to do something different, and you chose not to because you were, quote, comfortable in a lot of ways, both financially or otherwise. And so uh, it's not over for you. Uh, figure out what's next and then, and then head down that path. And so, you know, the, the most difficult thing was telling my son who was uh, maybe a 10 at the time. I don't remember exactly how old he was, 10, 11. Uh -huh. um, and letting him know that we'd be okay. 
and then getting to do the work of really figuring out uh, where I could tap back into the excitement and the challenge and the happiness again. And so smart enough, hopefully, I think I was smart enough um, to engage a career coach. You know, I had some outplacement in my contract and I actually called the CEO and apologized to him, first of all. Um, and I asked if I could uh, waive the outplacement and uh, put that money, which was less, to a career coach instead. And he was like, that's less, sure. Uh, <laughs> I'd never worked with a career coach, but um, for some reason, I felt like I needed someone to kind of help me through the process of figuring out what was next for me. And so glad I did that for a lot of reasons. We could talk forever about that, but just the short version is that was absolutely the right move. Um, but to back up, I think um, I'm glad, I don't necessarily know why that happened, that the realization that I was the one that was responsible for my fate was the biggest gift I gave to myself. You know, the the not blaming is sure I don't like that we signed the agreement and things change. But again, I even at the time I was like, this is the right business decision, but I absolutely hate it, you know, <laughs> or it's the right thing to do, but I don't like it, you know, or I don't want to do it. So uh thankfully smart enough to realize that it wasn't about me. It was um business in the right and they're very successful and still as I said own the company today and that I was no longer a fit for what they needed and I do wish I had made that decision sooner but if I had I probably would have just gone and taken another job in HR and who knows where I'd be today if I had not been kind of like kicked out on the street with a blue sky of what's new, what's next and, and engage somebody to help me think about possibilities. So they say everything happens for a reason. I'm sorry to everyone who had to deal with all the, the misery that I caused during that time frame, but um, I found a better place. And I, so I say getting fired was the best thing that ever happened to me because I, you know, given the opportunity, I might still be there 15 years later or whatever it is, uh, not 15, 18 years later. Not even that. <laughs> I left there late into 2005, so it's 2019. Wow, that is 14 years later. Um, I might still be there being miserable if somebody wow. had not shown me the door because mm -hmm. I didn't have to do anything different. Yeah. Wow, that's really neat. And realizing I'm the one responsible for my fate and direction. Mm -hmm. You know, another thing that you shared is that everyone has valuable experience to bring to the world. I mean, it sounds like that actually gave you some more maybe clarity on that or confidence about that. How did that play into what you did moving forward? Sure. I, With the coach's help, um, part of his process was is that I had to go out and network, meet with people. Um, have a marketing plan for myself, which again, I would have never, I'd have been like, I'm an HR person. What can I do? I have thoughts of like everybody else opening my own business, but I kind of thought like everybody else as well. I just hang a shingle up and people would call and I'd be like a lot of small businesses. If I'd done that, I would have probably lasted less than a year because I didn't really know what I wanted to sell or do or be. And, and being an quote HR consultant wasn't what I want to do. It's just what I had always done. Um, and so going out and talking to people, 
uh, where part of it, my marketing plan that he made me put together was to choose kind of three potential avenues. And so HR was one just because that was my background. Opening my own business or consulting was another. And then we're kind of like, well, you've done some recruiting. So that could be your third because I kind of like shut down and said, I don't know how to do anything. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I started like, I started on the remedial plan. I'm an introvert. I claimed I didn't know anybody. He said that wasn't true. I stood my ground and said, I don't know anybody. So he gave me three names, the owner of the recruiting firm that his office was in, you know, he had an office in there and was part of their team, but he was in career coaching. They were executive search. And so he gave me the owner of the executive search firm said, go talk to him. He'll give you three names. So I go talk to Mike Sipple Sr., um, who's just a wonderful man. He gave me three names. Um, so the goal of my process of talking to people was to build enough rapport, natural, not, not, not inauthentic, but to build enough rapport during that conversation, whether it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes or however long they were gracious enough to give me that the person would feel comfortable giving me three names of people in their network so that I could continue this kind of not looking for a job. I'm out kind of just talking to people about, you know, what they do, my skills, what's in the market, what their ideas are, et cetera. And, and, and the gentleman who had gotten fired, I met with him. He gave me three names. And one of the names he gave me was the person that I replaced uh, at the last job who I had met for like half a minute who gave me the keys to the office because he was not happy that he had gotten fired. Yeah. <laughs> You see a theme here. Everybody here gets fired. Um, this so. club is filling up. You're going to need <laughs> multiple locations. Yeah. So I ended up, I, I, you know, tucked my pride in. I go meet with him. And again, he was wonderful because this is four years later now. So uh, they have moved on and found better things for that they're excited about doing now. But it wasn't all like that. Those were the, that just happened at the beginning. But everybody gave me names. I talked to people. Uh, I learned so much because I had been working really hard in turnaround situations and startups and um, had not done a, 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 I won't say even a great job, had not done a job at all about going out and talking to other people and building a network. And so this was the first time that I was really kind of seeing, hey, here's what's actually out there in the world outside of, you know, playing card manufacturing or automotive manufacturing or peanut butter manufacturing. Um, and there are people doing cool things. And there are people who have great career paths and there are people that have really approached challenges and things that I faced in the past in new and different ways. And so if I could have become a professional networker at that point, I would have because I was actually really enjoying the conversations and people were so giving and helpful. And thankfully, 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 so many people when they're like, you know, after I talk to them about what they're doing, you know, anybody would say, well, what are you thinking about next? And I'd say, well you know, depending on who I was talking to, thinking about starting my own business. And everybody's like, don't do that. No, you don't know what you're wanting to do. You have no <laughs> business development experience. You will fail. Please don't do that. And I was like, oh, everybody's telling me I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should consider not doing this. Um, and so again, smart, smart people. A lot of them said, you know, don't start your own business yet. You're not ready. Um, can someday, but you'll need to learn how to build relationships and develop business and understand more about what you have to offer. So why don't you think about taking an interim step? Um, why don't you think about doing executive search? Because it sounds like you have done a lot of recruiting. You've been good at it. You've enjoyed it. Um, 
why not think about going to work for an executive search firm where you have to do that business development, but yet you'll be working in a, a company with other people and can learn from them and get some support. And oh, by the way, where you're getting career coaching and the guy who started this all for you from a networking, Mike Sibble Sr., he owns a recruiting firm. Why not talk to him? <laughs> um, and so I did. And, and for three and a half years, had the opportunity to work under his leadership. His son is now the president of the company, but uh, much younger than me. But I learned so much from both of them about just how to build effective relationships that ultimately turn into people wanting to do business with each other. Uh, met a lot of great people. As I said, because so many people had been helpful to me in my transition, I decided to give away 10% of my time helping senior executives in transition, which, as I said earlier, kind of developed into me teaching them how to use LinkedIn, which then developed into them asking me to come speak. So I had wanted to be a speaker about 10 years into my career, kind of forgot about that, even when I was thinking about starting my own business. Here we are 20 plus years later, and I'm being asked to speak just because I was teaching people what I knew. Um, and so after about three and a half years, I was doing enough speaking, all with their blessing. It was also helpful to the firm for me to be out there talking. Um, but finally said, I want to make uh, the leap into starting my own business as a speaker. Um, so, you know, whether you call it divine intervention or just listening to good advice or in some cases not taking good advice and failing and then realizing that <laughs> um, <laughs> and recovering I ended up where I wanted to be and where I do think is the best use of my skills and talents um, in those experiences and the help that I received along the way now allow me to um, listen and relate to other people. You know, somebody might call me this week and be in tears, uh, uh, you know, a 50 year old man who got fired from his job and <laughs> be in tears and be like, what am I going to do next? And I'll be like, here's what you're going to do. Yeah. You know, <laughs> You're going to think this is the best thing that ever happened to you. And you're going to take a couple of weeks off and then you're going to go out and you're going to start talking to people and you're going to look for the best opportunity you've ever had in your life. And you're going to be excited about it. But today you can cry, you know? So yeah. if I hadn't had that experience, I'd be like, let me pull a book off my shelf and recommend it to you. Why don't you read this? <laughs> but right. instead I can say, Here's what happened to me. Obviously, your experience is going to be your own, but I can tell you, you're going to go through that grief cycle. You're going to be, you know, sad, angry, mad, you know, and then you're going to realize, oh, this is a new opportunity. I just have to step up and take it. And so I'm grateful for the experiences that I had, the people that I've met along the way. I bring my unique skills and talents to the table, but blend in all of that stuff. And now I'm able to do what I love, which is I want to help people build careers that they love and lives that matter. I want them to be able to make an impact in the world, both at work and in life. And I bring my skills and experiences into that. Uh, but I also now have met so many other people and through Disrupt HR, I'm aware of so many other things that are going on out there, people that are doing cool things that I'm, I have this bank of stuff that hopefully I can share with people to inspire them and challenge them to find their own path. That's so cool. And, you know, it is true that 
when people hit that spot where they feel like, man, now everything's messed up. What am I going to do next? Sometimes that's actually the, the door to... It's usually, it's hopefully the inflection point. Yeah. Yeah. It's the point where I'm like, uh, everything's so messed up. Anything that I do will be better than this. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So it's it, like me, I was, I was in inaction because I was comfortable and doing nothing until somebody made me uncomfortable. Now, smarter people than me will make themselves uncomfortable or or step into the discomfort, but whether you're pushed there or you go there on your own, usually embracing the discomfort and we could go into a lot of metaphors whether it's, you know, working out or weightlifting or any of those things where you have to tear it down before you can build it up. I mean, anyone who maybe is experiencing that or um has I think that that does bring some hope because just like your story of the challenges and the tough experiences enable you to make the impact you're making now and tell this story. I think there's some hope in that for people too who are in that transition now or maybe have been. So talk a little about maybe maybe to them because you said, yeah, you said it's it's up to you to understand the value you bring that's unique and mm -hmm. how to make a positive impact with, in the world with that and be able to communicate that well. I think it, it's. Um... We all have that. We all have, you know, people will say, go follow your passion. And I'm like, well, I'm passionate about horses and riding horses. And that doesn't really pay money. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it costs me a lot of money. Yeah. So I have to find ways to, fu to fund my actual passion. But I'm also passionate about just the kind of helping people to find that life change within themselves. So I had somebody ask me this when I was kind of in another phase, when I was at the executive search firm and I was kind of in, now I'm starting to uh, get that itch again about what's new, what's next. And, and a good friend of mine who just happened to be an executive coach, but we'd just gone to lunch and we're standing in an elevator and he said, Jennifer, where is it that you are when you feel like you are most on fire? When you feel like you are in the zone, you're in flow, what are you doing at that moment? And I thought about it and I said, I'm on a stage doing Q&A. You know, I'm up there. People are asking me questions. I have answers. Um, I'm helping them. I'm giving them opportunities to, you know, take what I'm teaching and, and apply that to their life. And again, I wasn't thinking about that as I want to be a speaker when he said that. But it was like when I thought about where I'm just at bliss. I'm up there doing Q&A. And so, you know, why did I say Q&A? And I think that's because, again, I'm really a teacher at heart. Thanks, Dad. But at the same time that I think brought out that I'm trying to help you find your path. Um, so what is that for you? Where, where are you when you're just like, I enjoy the heck out of this? And it might mean you're at your desk doing data entry into a spreadsheet or, you know, that don't judge people. We, we all judge our, our hopes and dreams too much. Just sometimes sit down and think about what that is. And as I said, I didn't think at the time when he asked me that question and I gave my answer that that meant, oh, I need to be a professional speaker. That was just my answer that off, off the top of my head. And so the more I thought about that, it's like, well, then how can I actually move in the direction of being able to do that? And so stepping out on my own in 2010 to be a professional speaker didn't mean that everybody and their grandmother was calling me to pay me thousands of dollars to keynote their conference right away. It meant that I started doing some HR consulting and recruiting consulting. Um, I started writing and finding ways to leverage that. I started speaking for free in a lot of places and uh, that then turned into more consulting, which was not what I wanted to do. But I, it's like 
funding my passion for writing. I found ways to fund my passion so that I could get better at it, so that I could build a brand, so that now here we are nine years later and probably 90, I haven't run the numbers for last year yet, but I'd say 90 to 95% of my income is from speaking. I no longer do consulting because I learned really quickly I'm a bad consultant because I fix problems. So when I am a consultant and I go in and I identify your problems, I want to fix them. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a good consultant. A good consultant is, here are your problems. Here are three ways that I suggest you fix them. Here's three ways you could pay me a lot of money to pay someone else to fix them for you. (laughs) Very generalized consulting. But, um, you know, so... I I learned that. I learned that I do love to do executive coaching, but only with the right people in the right scenarios. So I take on, you know, a few, maybe, maybe two coaching clients a year, if that. But now I'm at a phase where I'm coming in and set to 10 years in my business. And I'm like, I want to continue to fund my passion, which is speaking. But I also want to reach more people and impact more people. How can I do that? And the ways to do that, or at least the path that I see is how can I create online courses? How can I create ways to do group coaching opportunities or masterminds where I can impact more people rather than that kind of one-off time? And then how can, you know, on the volunteer side of things, how can we continue to build out Disrupt HR so that we are getting more people the opportunity to share their ideas, their passions, and whether that's a one and done for them. I gave a Disrupt HR talk, checked it off list, never want to get on stage again, or whether it's I shared an idea and then somebody came up to me afterwards and we talked about it and we formed a company, or I shared an experience or uh, something innovative that I did and I got hired to a new job. You know, there, there are a lot of things that come out of Disrupt HR that many of them I don't even know about, but I see on social media, somebody's like, you know, three years ago, I met this person at Disrupt HR and here I am, you know, starting a business with them. I absolutely love that. That thrills me to no end. Well, for anyone who hasn't been yet to Disrupt HR, please go find yours. Whatever city you're in, there's probably one. If there's not, maybe you're the one to start one. And you can go find that out at disrupthr.co. Also, I would encourage everyone to check out, you know, there's more on all of these topics on Jennifer's podcast, which is called Impact Makers Podcast. And I think there's also a really cool free resource that you've offered people um, around this idea of getting clear on the unique value you bring and communicating it and kind of just personal branding. Um, and we'll include the link to that in the show notes for anyone who wants to check that out. And that kind of flowed out of, again, I do do personal branding workshops and also, uh, seminars, et cetera. And, um, in the workshops in particular, we sit down and kind of work through your personal brand. And so enough people were asking me for that. I said, well, I'll just put together this free workbook and you can go out and go through some of the exercises that, you know, some of them I did way back when, some of them I do every year or so to kind of refresh my personal brand. And I think it's just a good way to sit down and think about who am I? What value do I bring to the table? Where am I on fire? Um, and then how can I begin to leverage that? And, and the pushback that sometimes I'll get is, well, Jennifer, I'm, I don't ever want to start my own business. I don't want to be a consultant or a speaker. I don't need to know my personal brand. And that I think is uh, backwards thinking. 
So you need to understand your personal brand for a lot of reasons, um, because if you're in the corporate world, do you want to be able to work on the projects that you are best suited for? Do you want to get promoted? Do you want to be able to get more challenging work? You know, people need to understand where you do your best work in order to be able to both position you for that. Um, and you need to understand it yourself so that you can position yourself for those opportunities, whether they are in the corporate environment and you're going to stay in that environment, but you want to make sure that you have some um, say in your career path. So I call it career management, really. Or certainly if you want to have a side hustle or even start your own business or work in some way where you're out there trying to get people to notice you so that you can work with them, um, then you really do need to understand what you bring, what's your unique spin on it, where you add value, and how to really kind of share that in a succinct way. Yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, I would take it even further. I think for anyone who's maybe someone is retired or stay at home parent, or even if you're not like formally in the quote unquote workplace, that's still v valuable work because understanding where you kind of make the biggest impact and what brings you the most joy, like you want to be able to lean into that. And you can do that in any area of your life, not just in an office building. I think we get in that path sometimes of I am good at this, or this is what I've always done, so this must be what I'm supposed to do. And yay, if that is your path. But even in that path, there are probably ways you can make, there are ways you can make more impact by understanding your ability to impact people and where that is. And as you said, how can you lean into that? So good. Well, thanks for sharing your story and your insights. I know this will resonate with a lot of people. Where can where can people find you if they want to just see more about what you're doing and, and follow any of your stuff? Sure. It's a very short URL. JenniferMcClure.net is the website, uh, which that includes uh, links to my podcast and any blog posts that I've written and as well as the social links. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jennifer McClure. You can find me on LinkedIn. Jennifer McClure probably should come up uh, near the top of those search results from the the veterinarian and the photographer and the other people out there. Big fans of our friends name. at Belay Solutions, a company that provides incredibly top-notch virtual staffing. They actually provide us with executive assistance, but they also staff bookkeepers, web specialists, and social media managers. And the thing is, their customer experience is just incredible, and they have a way of finding just the right people for your needs. If you resonate with any of this and want more information, go to belaysolutions.com slash next step. The link is also in the show notes, and we've partnered with Belay to give you $200 off your startup fees. The book I would recommend that I think people who are kind of wanting to take what you understand from your personal brand and then leverage that, again, whether that's consulting, starting your own business, side hustle, or even opportunities to expand outside of maybe your work environment would be Platform, Get Noticed in a Noisy World by Michael Hyatt. Um, and that book is it's probably about five years old now, but I think is still a good primer for people around understanding, again, who you are and how you communicate that, but then also the tools that you can communicate, whether that's blogging, your website, um, social media, et cetera, what you need to think about in terms of a platform to get noticed by others. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a friend. Don't forget to subscribe and come on, do us a favor, leave a five-star review. It'll help others find the show too.